On Rosh Hashanah, we celebrated Yom Harat Olam, which many people translate as the day of the birthday of creation. But Harat is not birth. Harat is pregnancy, conception. So Yom Harat Olam is really the pregnancy of the universe. Fifteen years ago, this Yom Kippur, I stood on the bima, and my daughter would be born on Sukkot. Yeah. So as hard as this one has been in some ways, that one was truly miserable. (laughs) And I remember before that time, wondering to myself on those times where you kind of get mystical and existential, I thought, you know, why would the divine move out of unity into this craziness that we call reality? And I really couldn't get it. And then I was pregnant and I was like, this unity is bliss to be really one with another human being. Why would the divine leave that to do the craziness that we see all around us manifested in this world? And then I was nine months pregnant and I started to understand. (laughs) Because as lovely as unity was, it was getting a little tight uh, in there, and there wasn't room in here for two of us, really, anymore. And I realized that if I was going to have a relationship with this baby, she was going to have to be outside of me. She was going to have to be separate from me. She was going to have to be apart from me in order for me to really love her, in order for me to know her. Her birth our entire relationship would depend on a rupture, on a break. That's how it is for every single human being that comes into this world. They come into this world rupturing, breaking through another life. Because of my particular situation, I was going to have to have a very scary and planned C-section. My surgeon was so concerned about the surgery, she asked another surgeon to scrub in. They had four units of blood hanging. I wanted to be awake for my daughter's birth. Um, It was the scariest, most terrifying thing I had ever faced, as is anything that's really, really big. Because of, again, the surgery and complications and other issues, it also meant that I would come out seriously profoundly scarred. And like all big things that are terrifying, we have to dig deep and we have to surrender and we have to find the courage to bring something into this world. It is only through pain and a certain kind of breach that anything new comes into this reality that we're given. Yom Harat Olam We often don't want the breakage that comes with change and with birth and with new growth. So that's Yom Harat Olam. And we get today, we get Yom Kippur, the day that we acknowledge the flaws in our world, the flaws in ourselves. And we acknowledge for 26 hours that everything and everyone in this glorious, amazing world is broken. Creation is not perfect. The human condition 
is that we are in our imperfection, in our brokenness, treasured nonetheless. We have places of weakness as human beings that give way, moments when a tragedy shatters our reality, experiences that break us away from a former image of ourselves, ruptures in relationships happen that leave us adrift. We are fragile and we fail. We fail our own ideals and values. And sometimes we feel shame in being less than we hoped we would be. And always, we search for ways to hold the pain and uncertainty and to return to a sense that repair is truly possible. That is what we're given this day for, to really believe that repair is possible. Eliana asked me, uh, she came to check on me a couple times while I was writing for Rosh Hashanah because she might have caught me shoe shopping once or twice. (laughs) So she came to make sure I was working. um, And she said, so what are you talking about this year, mom? And I said, well, I think as usual, I just feel at Rosh Hashanah, I just feel this real need to kind of address Jewishly the situation in our country, in our world. And she goes, yeah, and Yom Kippur? I said, well, I think, you know, I'm, I, Yom Kippur, I tend to get a little more personal and talk about what really is happening for me on the inside. And so I think I'm going to talk about my hip replacement at Yom Kippur. And she said, wow, so what are you going to talk about next year? <laughs> she said, last year it was your mom's stroke. This year it's your hip. She said, you're running out of issues and there are words that have never been spoken before, she said. <laughs> You're running out of issues and those words have never been said before. But we're not running out of issues because we're human. We aren't running out of obstacles because we're human. So after grappling with all kinds of pain that had nothing to do with the location of my hip, um, after seeing many, many, many different specialists, finally I was sent by my chiropractor for x-rays and uh, the person reading them said I needed to see a surgeon. I saw a surgeon and like all good purebred German shepherds, I was diagnosed with hip dysplasia. That meant I was now bone on bone on the left side and the only way to fix it was to go in for a total left hip replacement. So all of you who've been so concerned after Rosh Hashanah watching me hold my hip, this is the operative hip. This is the microphone. It's all good. It's all good. (laughs) So uh, I was devastated. 53 years old and being told essentially I was wearing out. The parts were wearing out. I was terrified. I was disappointed. I didn't want this to be true. I didn't want this to be me. And so whenever you get terrifying news like that, what do you do? You go online. Which was really, really, really stupid. I went online and read a yoga teacher. I love yoga. It's my exercise two, two times a week and I knew I wouldn't be able to do it. Here's a yoga teacher at hip replacement at 42. I listened to her words. I'm like, finally someone who can talk to me about this and where it hurts and where, where I'm worried and where I'm concerned. And she's also a paramedic. And she says, I witnessed this surgery when intubating in the OR. And so I knew they would saw off the top of my leg bone, bore it to make way for a seven inch metal spike and screw a cup into my pelvis. And because the quadricep muscles are stretched quite to their limits for joint access, the post-surgery window requires nearly total rest so that the muscles can recover and regain their function and shape. 
Clearly, you don't want to be in bed the entire time, but my limit was around the block with a walker for nearly a month. Then two, three, up to five blocks. For a full three months, no yoga asana, no weights, no craziness, no abandon. Two miles were my max limit, and even swimming was verboten. Until the scar had fully healed, I was a basket case and not a well-woven one. So that helped a lot. (laughs) Knowing that you're going to be in pain, knowing that you're going to be incapacitated, knowing that you're going to be weak and frail and dependent. In our culture that so heavily celebrates independence and strength, there is, I don't know why, it's crazy, but there is a sense of shame and a sense of failure somehow in being diminished, in deteriorating in being less than. And as grateful as I was for the technology that exists for me to be completely repaired, I didn't do anything about the terror, about surgery, the aftermath, the pain, the recovery, and the rehab that it would take to come back to full strength and full function. And I certainly, most certainly, didn't want it to be me. Being weak, being a burden, being limited, being dominated for months by something we don't choose, something that happens to us, is hard for us. This is, of course, the central idea of Yom Kippur. How can we hold our brokenness with great tenderness and honesty? How can we sit with pain and try to get what a new, at what a new us might look like if we address the brokenness honestly, with no judgment, just with a real desire to become better people, healed people. (laughs) Facing that we're broken and flawed is one of the hardest things we do. And that's why we do it together. That's why the rabbis have us convene. They have us assemble. They have us come together because it's too hard to do on our own. Our communal confessions are supposed to take us to the hardest places for us to face. Unatana Tokef and Barosh Hashanah, the two beautiful pieces we just heard, bring us very close to our awareness that most of the really important things in our lives are beyond our control. And these pieces, this liturgy, this practice of fasting and self-denial are supposed to urge us to change, to become different versions of ourselves. But we cannot affect repairs unless we get at the broken places. I was in exactly this state of terror and all of that good stuff when I saw a TED talk called The Person You Become. I thought, okay, Change, rupture, breakage, it's all really hard, it's really scary. Let me listen to these stories of becoming someone else and what that entails. And the first story was out of Janine Shepard, who was born an athlete. She was a track and field star. She was a cross-country skier with the highest oxygen of uh, intake of any skier in Australia. She was called Janine the Machine. The Olympics were looming. That was her goal. She wanted to prove that Australia could be the best in winter sports. And her whole identity, she said, was about her body being an athlete and training. She was on a training bike ride with teammates in the mountains west of Sydney on an autumn day. 
they'd been on their bikes for five and a half hours and when they got to the hills her favorite part because she could pump and there was that amazing capacity to take in air and translate it into energy Um, it was about 10 minutes from the end of the ride she said I felt the cold air burning in my lungs as I sucked in air I looked up and saw the sun hitting my face and then it all went black Janine had been hit by a speeding utility truck. She broke her back in six places, five ribs on her left side. She'd broken her arm, her collarbone, bones in her feet. Her whole right side was open and filled with gravel. She had internal injuries and was bleeding so badly that she lost five liters of blood. That's what someone her size can hold. She said, by the time the helicopter arrived, my blood pressure was 40 over zero. My body was how I defined myself and how others saw me. I had always had control over every aspect of my life and now I was lying paralyzed in an ICU. People telling me I wasn't going to walk again. My life as I knew it was over. I was 24. From Janine's story, I was challenged to think differently about being damaged, dependent, limited, and in pain. What is it to redefine ourselves? To let go of our attachment to how we've seen ourselves. To the assumptions that we've made about ourselves and about other people. Janine's struggle through unimaginable pain and a daunting recovery after which they still didn't think she'd walk helped me to begin to ask, instead of how do I get through this, what growth or new me is trying to emerge through this breakage. Thanks to so many of you, thanks to the amazing time and energy of people like Marsha DePaula, who sits here and sings every single service. What you don't know is that she spends a lot of her time, her volunteer time, she also works full time, has a business. She spends her time making sure that people in our community who have any kind of illness or any kind of uh, situation in their lives from which they're suffering that they will get taken care of. And she lines up people to do that and coordinates it all. So Marsha and Millie Wexler and Judy, my partner, um, took care of everything so that there would be food in the house every night for three weeks. That couldn't have happened. People showing up Sue Frank over there. People showing up with food, with flowers, with their favorite wine. That was awesome. (laughs) With a book to read. That couldn't have happened had I not been limited, dependent, broken, and in pain. We're told by the rabbis, Uchuva, Utfila, Utzdaka, Ma'avirinet, Roa, Hagazera. We just said it after Barosh Hashanah. But Teshuva, Tefila, and Sedaka, and usually you'll read in your prayer book, Ma'avirinet, Roa, Hagazera, avert the evil decree. But that's not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew says Teshuva, repentance, Tefila, prayer, and Sedaka, acts of righteousness. And generosity, those things, ma'avirin, they cancel out roa hagazera, the evil of the decree, the badness of the decree. The decree's displeasure. It is what it is. But the roa, the evil, the badness of it, that's something else. 
Recovery and rehab have been hard. Surgery and rehabilitation have been like all difficult experiences when we allow them to inform us. They've been deeply transformative for me. This is the day the rabbis give us. Judaism's day of spiritual rehabilitation. So I'm going to share with you this Yom Kippur, my lessons from PT, pain and torture. (laughs) I'm going to share my lessons with you for this day of spiritual rehabilitation. What I learned through rehab is that like any good program that's designed to help us heal, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of time and a lot of work and a lot of perseverance. We won't wake up tomorrow immediately better people with repaired relationships. But we can wake up tomorrow ready to commit to doing the daily work, the weekly work, the monthly work that it will take for us to get there. Number two, we have to pay attention to pain. When we ignore it and try to push through it without addressing it, it will get out of hand and it will get the better of us. When we ignore the pain and try to do more despite how much we're hurting, we lose the whole next day. We lose a whole glorious new day because we're too stubborn to attend to the message that pain is trying to send us. Number three, I was in a great deal of pain from muscles that were having to compensate for ones damaged in surgery, normal damage. My PT, my physical terrorist, told me (laughs) that I should use a cane whenever I was tired or feeling weak, or I would continue to do damage to surrounding muscles and tissue, and this would impede my healing and my progress. We have to use a cane when we're limping or tired. We have to rely on assistance when we're fatigued or weak. If we don't, we will damage what is currently healthy and cause a whole lot more pain. How do we know we need assistance? When we find ourselves limping again. Number four, I discovered how amazingly nice people were when I had a cane. People were incredible to me when I was using a cane. They held the door for me. They looked me in the eye and smiled. They offered me their seats. Something about me being obviously injured or compromised in some serious way made it safer for them to interact with me and brought out their shining, most generous selves. If we don't show our fragility, we essentially stop people from shining. Who are we to take people shining from them by hiding where we hurt? We close the opening that our own brokenness creates when we hide and try to cover. Number five, I had to, do the, I had to learn to do the simplest things like walk all over again. I assumed I knew how to walk since I'd been walking for 53 years. But apparently, as I walked for my physical terrorist and she watched me, she said, you are locking your left knee and vaulting over the leg when you're walking. You're not walking. You're vaulting. So I had to learn how to balance on one leg and swing the right leg through. I thought I knew the basics because I'd done them for so long. 
but I was walking on a failing hip for a really long time and got used to it. There are lots of things we think we're doing just fine because we've been doing it on something busted for a really long time and now it feels normal. But once you have a healthy hip and leg, I now had to learn to do the basics differently. When we let go of who we've been, when we grow and affect repairs in our lives, we have to relearn to do the basics differently. We have to return to what Buddhism calls beginner's mind. Every spiritual tradition worth its salt knows and teaches this truth. We have to be willing to re-examine how we approach everything if we truly wish to heal and be better people. Number six, good nutrition and rest is critical for healing. We are given Shabbat and holy days like this, Yom Kippur. We are given these times for rest because without that kind of room and space for reflection, we can't even figure out what it is we want to change. We can't even imagine what a life might look like if it were healed, if it were whole, if it were healthier. Rest is not a luxury. It is a necessity. I had a new pain and went to my PT and she said, well, what's happening, I think, with the new pain is that your scar tissue is developing rapidly and it's adhering to the thigh muscle and that's involving some nerve stuff and that's why you're hurting when you move. So what we're going to need to do is go in there and break it up. You, you're going to go in and push where it's really hard and really red and really angry and really hurty to break it up. She said, yes. She took a tool, she pointed to the table and said, get on the table, this probably isn't gonna feel really good. <laughs> Yom Kippur is about digging in. Every occurrence of real change and repair that we do requires identifying and pushing on the angry, hurty, tight places. If we don't do this, as I was told clearly, it will harden and become permanent. It will involve nerves and other otherwise healthy tissue. Nobody wants to push on the hard, hurty, angry places. It is horrible. It hurts really, really badly. But that's what we're called to do on Yom Kippur. We hurt by fasting. We hurt by thirsting. We hurt by refraining from those things that are our usual distractions and pleasures. That's what we're supposed to do and confess the ways that we have fallen short. Janine Shepard, in telling her story, says, I think to lose the thing that defines you is the very thing that will teach you not just who you are, but who you're not. You don't really know how strong you are until being strong is the only choice you have. Sitting outside in her wheelchair one day, a plane flew overhead, and she decided, if I can't walk, I'll fly. So she told her mother she was signing up for flight lessons. And she says her mom said, oh, that's right, dear, great, great. She signed up for flight lessons in a full body cast. 
the instructor knew she couldn't work the pedals on the floor. So for her first lesson, he said, I'm going to work the pedals. You just pull up on the steering wheel. So she, he does the pedals. She pulls up on the steering wheel and he said, good job. And they lift off and he says, you see those mountains over there? Just fly towards those. And she realized in that moment that those were the blue mountains where she'd been hit by a speeding truck. Janine decided to become a pilot. If she couldn't walk, then she'd fly. She got her pilot's license, then her commercial pilot's license. Then she became an aerobatics flight instructor. Janine then became the first woman director of the Civil Aviation Safety Authority. Getting hit by a truck could have been a story about the end of a brilliant athletic career. Instead, it became the story of a career and a love of flying. What rupture is necessary for the new reality pushing into our lives to emerge? What will the growth that we really want require of us and those who love us? At one of our staff meetings, Matt Davidson, our executive director, showed us that we have a, an inspiration. Somebody shares an inspiration each week at our staff meeting. And he showed us a video called Be Proud of Your Scars by Sean Bernhardian, who says, when a bowl is broken in Japan, it's put back together with the cracks being filled with gold, creating a beautiful lining. This is to emphasize the beauty of something that once was broken. They believe that when something has suffered damage and has a history, it makes it more beautiful and the same goes for human beings. Everything that you've been through, that you're going through, doesn't make your life uglier, though it may seem like that when you're going through it. It's up to us to choose to paint our struggles with gold and make it beautiful. You are not broken beyond repair. You can pick yourself up and learn from what's happened and become a better person from it because of the struggle that you've been through. You can wear your scars proudly as a badge of honor, as if to say, look at what I've been through. It's made me who I am today and I can get through anything life puts in front of me now. Nobody has had a perfect life and nobody ever will. It's only up to us if we choose to paint our broken pieces gold and make it beautiful. When what you have been through is inspiration for other people, then you don't get stuck. Every next level of your life will demand a new you. And sometimes it takes being broken in order to become that new version of yourself. Janine Shepard says, the way I connect to the world now is not through my body, it's through my heart. The takeaway for me is that life is about loosening our grip. We suffer when we hold on to things and we hold on to things because we're unsure. I know it's in the letting go that we experience who we can be and it is different and it's still magnificent and incredible and fascinating and curious. It's just a different life. When you let go of who you are, you become who you might be. This Yom Kippur, may we each have the strength to push where it hurts, to paint the edges of the broken pieces gold, 
to accept help when it's offered, to let others shine by showing that we too are broken and hurt. Let us learn to listen to the pain and let it inform us. May we learn to rest deeply and regularly. Let us return this Yom Kippur to beginner's mind so that we can relearn the basics to become new and better people. Shana Tova.